0: And, and if I may add here, I think one of the the things that uh, you know I I don't want also to 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 make this sounding as a uh, as a just uh, regional uh, problem. I think I think what we what uh, what the changing nature of of war uh, as as Jonathan Jonathan has already started unpacking uh, is something that we think. Uh, has uh, uh, goes beyond the idea of the region beyond the kind of the region the middle east as a as a war a quote unquote war uh, zone mm-hmm. and and how how western interventions are happening here mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of a, a troubling uh, uh, kind of notion is that what we see here in this region is something that will probably be replicated and be taken on in other parts of the world uh, and I think that is something that maybe uh, 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 to ask a question that is maybe a little bit uh, pessimistic, or maybe a little bit uh, cynical, or uh, whatever. But is this is what we are seeing here? Is the future nature of war uh, that will migrate into into other modes and other ways of doing war? specific, especially because it really involves big powers. That are not only concerned about just this region, they're concerned about many parts of uh, mm-hmm. other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, the question is for us this is not, this na- changing nature of, of war is not just a cultural problem that exists in a place that is defined kind Exist- of arbitrarily as what mm-hmm. the Middle East is or whatever mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. I think we are seeing. Um, even in Europe, uh, degradation of of uh, healthcare infrastructures in, in Greece, for example, mm-hmm. mater- uh, 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 a lot of medical and health, health uh, public health indicators are deteriorating mm-hmm. slowly. Um, uh, we we could see this happening somewhere else, where you know any kind of big for- big uh, big powers decide to kind of take on a uh, military action in, okay. in, in these places. So so is this is this a kind of a new mode of war that we will be seeing uh, replicated in other places? I think it's yet to be seen. But uh, I think it's very important not to reduce what's happening in this region as just something that is uh, contextualized in the history exactly. just about the region, but actually it, 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 it opens up Questioning of new modes of, of a new global order of mm-hmm. that is is all about militarization mm-hmm. and securitization and dealing with kind of enemies that are um, that are almost exist outside the the civilized world world and we had you know people in the conference even mm-hmm. thinking about that uh, very very uh, in a very deep way thinking about how how the world is being defined through. Uh, Europe and the others and I mm. think uh, or the West and the others mm-hmm. and, and, and and we we and that kind of more broader global transformation mm. around uh, further militarizing the world mm. in many ways and, and the idea of what what has been called the um, uh, the everywhere war, war mm-hmm. you know, is something very very interesting. It could be seen in Mexico and say mm-hmm. mm-hmm. developed around the issues of drug uh, the drug war or something like that. Mm-hmm. Other kinds of issues that could emerge, and I think this is where this is a interest, an interesting place to think about that because in a way it might be it might be you know as as others have called the Middle East the laboratory of war exactly. that this is not just a, a uh, this is where Western countries have experimented also. New weapons. New, weapons new ideas, pushing the limits of war within, uh, within places. A lot of it has happened in this part of the world. And it's very interesting, at least, to begin then to anticipate mm-hmm. uh, what this could mean uh, to not only the Middle East and, and societies that have been uh, living in conflict, but to other places that where something like this could actually really get out of control.
1: This is interesting because it made me think about new medicine as well that gets tested on people in conflict zones. Mm -hmm. Um, Who monitors the medicine that is given to populations in conflict zones? Do you guys monitor the quality of medicine that is given? On what basis do you distribute medicine and so on? Yeah, so for I
2: mean for MSF, the, that that aspect of, of medicine is is through I mean through our projects, we have uh, an entire supply chain system okay. of uh, of medical supplies that comes from kind of pre uh, predetermined and pre authorized mm-hmm. supply warehouses mm-hmm. that exist, um, and so yeah, the whole the the using the use of new medicines uh, is not mm-hmm. something that MSF would. With engage, okay. uh, engage with uh, unless it's for for example we've been involved in certain clinical trials related to ebola okay. related okay. Uh, ebola um, r- uh, treatments and 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 vaccines and things like this so that's but that's something that's done in a very controlled uh, controlled way but it mm-hmm. is i mean in a broader in a broader sense and if you look at the broader outside of msf um, uh, issue of the, the the kind of drug supply uh, natures i mean one of the big problems that we we see and it's this issue of, of siege is that it's actually it's not necessarily a problem of new medicines being used but medicines not actually reaching uh, health facilities mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. the practice of siege we're seeing it in Yemen on a big sale the kind of blockade mm-hmm. that's imposed and what that means for for uh, for medical supplies to reach health facilities mm-hmm. and it's not only on the actual medical supplies. so it even goes again if we start to unpack it's uh, the targeting of fuel uh, in, the, mm. in, the, in the blockade, so mm. the ambulance doesn't have, uh, doesn't have mm. fuel to be able to Transport transfer the patients, patient, yeah. or the truck doesn't have fuel to be able to take the drug supply yeah. from one place to another. Um, so this, this kind of, of issue of drug, the movement of, of medical supplies and drugs mm-hmm. is, a, is, a big, uh, is a big issue. So, it's, of course, it's, it's Yemen, it's Gaza, its, it's areas in, in Syria <coughs> is, is one, some of the most stark examples where entire areas are. Are sealed off under siege, and there's a very clear policy uh, from the from the Syrian government, for example, to remove medical supplies from any mm-hmm. aid convoys that go into mm-hmm. into areas. So we've mm-hmm. had stories of even things that can be used um, as substitutes, so diapers being removed mm-hmm. because they could be used as a as a way to dress a wound, okay. um, or this kind of of of, uh, of use of siege and the medical mm-hmm. su- the medical uh, supply aspect of. Of that is a key issue so no I think this 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 dynamic of medical supply and medical this uh, uh, is a key uh, is a key issue yeah.
0: and I think there is a even a bigger story going on in the sense of uh, beyond the kind of we, uh, medications that are being necessarily used here or experimented and I agree with Jonathan a lot of the issues uh, that are happening is basically about poor access to mm-hmm. quality medications and kind of how these kind of, even that kind of preventing access is a is a mode of punishment for uh, certain kind of groups and population. I think that's a very important uh, thing. And I think to add to that is to, uh, not necessarily the experimentation is happening from the West on, on, on drugs here, but actually even local modes of drug making has been uh, a very uh, uh, strong uh, Kind of uh, a strong component of this uh, pharmaceutical economy of war, war, war uh, economy. Um, uh, The the use of Captagon right now, for example, Mm. as a drug of choice, Mm. and the way these small, uh, you know, uh, labs emerging in Bika and some kind of uh, uh, in a in a basement of someone's house or in a in a. See many
1: breaking bad uh, all over, exactly. France. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, yeah, <laughs> many in many azibuts. parts of the Middle East, there's uh, all, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. breaking uh, bad yeah. is
0: being re uh, redone and much more, probably, uh, uh interesting effects. It's, it's problematic because <laughs> uh, it's
1: coming from pharmaceutical, yeah, it's yes. originating from pharmaceutical, yeah.
0: But a lot of it is also, uh, is, is locally made. These of are course. medications that are, uh, being kind of, uh, you know, they have your their chefs and you have all the yeah. people who. Who do this work yeah. uh, and these kind of medications have become the drug of choice for the mm-hmm. fighters from all different mm-hmm. kind of factions. Mm-hmm. So there's a very interesting question, I think, about how this war has been medicalized and pharmaceuticalized, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticalized mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. the word is mm-hmm. that is a word. And how <laughs> the side
1: effects are gonna play on the long term.
0: Exactly. And I think I think we are uh, if you think about the recent transformations in the region, we have been a society that has been consuming uh, 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 medications uh, in a crazy way. Mm. I mean, one element of it is the uh, antibiotic uh, use. Mm. So that's so one that that is a the use of antibiotics over the past decades and its availability over the counter it's easy easily prescribed by doctors to anything viral infection has has contributed to the creation mm-hmm. of these uh, uh, multi drug resistance bacteria mm-hmm. so we need to begin mm-hmm. to think about that mm-hmm. the other aspect is that like many parts of the world like in japan and in uh, in, uh, in 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 Haiti, in uh, in uh, different parts, where also where has there has been also, let's say, natural catastrophes. Indonesia, there has been. Uh, a rush into uh, introduction of uh, uh, psychotropic medications. You know, the use of mental health uh, drugs is on the rise globally, and this has been pushed by by pharmaceutical companies. You know, antidepressants, Mm. anti-anxiety, anti-psychotic medications has become so easily available and easily prescribed by doctors and humanitarian organizations also to... Partly because of this uh, uh, notion of PTSD and trauma and, and mental health. health. so it, and, and this part of the world, I mean, uh, you know, I think there has been, maybe there hasn't been uh, enough research on this. And this is where I think we really need more uh, analysis of this is the consumption of... Uh, psych- these psychotropic medications in everyday life of every person that you meet is, has become mm-hmm. so predominant. Mm-hmm. Many people take these medications very easily. It's you almost know? becoming casual. It, it is becoming casual, yeah. And, you're and partly, you can you carry with you your piece of plastic plastic bag with all your medication you give your friends pills and all that but you know it's just it's and it's not necessarily meant as an as a, a drug use you know it's actually no, no, it's dealing med- medicinal, yeah. it's medicinal using with emotional trouble using with sleep disturbances using and i think that's also part of this ecology mm. of war where mm. it's it's not only about your physical body but your emotional mental state uh, uh, and and feeling feeling this uh, 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 uh you know, it's a it's a it's beyond the existential kind of anxiety of, of being, but it's it's something about the kind of a state of tomorrow. What's going to happen to mm-hmm. my kids? How I'm going to really uh, what is going to happen? And so this this uncertainty uh, that is is maybe magnified or amplified during mm-hmm. during these times become become so present, and people respond to them through this. And of course, this has been the medicalization of this this. Part of the world has been going on for a while. It's not just because of the war. It's been partly to do with how co- corporate pharmaceuticals have been mm-hmm. invested in mm-hmm. this part, pushing doctors to prescribe this. So it's not a story just about the war. It's a, it's a global, global health story about pharmaceuticals and how mm-hmm. it almost capitalizes also on... On uh, pushing drugs in these kind of places where war yeah. and catastrophes, yeah. uh, natural disasters and human ma- or man-made disasters mm-hmm. are, are uh, happening. And, you know, of course, how people also respond to that by creating their own kind of formulas exactly. uh, uh, to, to deal with the, you know, the kind of the magic uh, drug that will help you to stay, stay awake and fight and, and not feel the pain. And, and the injury that you're getting for while fighting, like the kind
2: of captagon mm. economy that we have mm. across the region. This reminds me of a of a the discussion that often happens in in MSF on uh, in places where we where we've worked in, in the region. In particular, we work in in, in uh, places where you've had a very sophisticated health system in the past, with this kind of uh, uh, culture, broader society culture of of access to uh, uh, very easy access to certain uh, certain medication, often pushed by. Big farmer, etc. When MSF has come into some of these environments, uh, our provision of healthcare has actually been often rejected because we've come with very minimalistic uh, uh, guidelines on on what we would prescribe mm-hmm. and not do mm-hmm. And that's often within the communities that we're working seen as, as completely insufficient to, mm-hmm. to, to to respond to their needs. So if you go into a clinic and you come out with paracetamol and you don't come out with your antibiotics, etc., 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 then the quality of care is not yes is not good. So then we see uh, often the tension arising in in uh, in, yeah. in relation to to uh, at least from the perspective of MSF the provision of care in those kinds of uh, of so, so
1: there's something I noticed in refugee camps in Bihar in 2014 mm. and 2015 is that uh, mentally ill uh, children or, or people who fled, refugees who fled with their families. Mm. Uh, are being completely neglected or if they are taken care of medically they are given Panadol pills um, telling their parents that this is the medicine but parents are not stupid they are yeah, realizing exactly. it's a Panadol pill mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily the medicine mm-hmm. and so I noticed a few cases that their their mental health situation deteriorated mm-hmm. very rapidly mm-hmm. uh, what about those people I mean is you don't me? hear you don't hear much uh, the people addressing uh no, but I think this, is, this is an
2: interesting part of the problem is that you have, in a way, the kind of under-medicalization of certain, of certain things mm-hmm. by humanitarian mm-hmm. organizations, mm-hmm. and then you have often the over-medicalization uh, in other aspects. Yeah, so there's yeah, this kind yeah. of tension exactly, that exists between exactly. ignoring certain aspects yeah. of, the, of the community's needs. For example, the yeah, very real mental health like needs autistic, that might yeah, Like exactly. syndrome. So you often see overlooking those, uh, those aspects. Um, so no, I think there's a constant tension between between yeah this this problem of under versus over mm-hmm. medicalizing. So, I mean, for MSF, for example, the the, the perception is often that we would under medicalize because we're not providing antibiotics etc. to to when uh, when patients come in, um, and the expectation is is uh, is, is for something is, it, is for a different kind of mm-hmm. provision of of care. But then there's going to be those uh, those cases where there is absolutely a need for additional uh, additional medical support but it doesn't fit within potentially the the guidelines or the standardized yes. approach of of, uh, of humanitarian work and that's where i think the work you're doing on guidelines etc is so important because often the, the the provision of healthcare in 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 these in these environments is very is very regulated internally mm. by organizations um, mm. um, within the medical community and but to follow certain protocols guidelines mm-hmm. it's a the provision of healthcare is quite, uh, uh, yeah, it's become quite standardised in many ways, and particularly with a refugee community. So, the the refugee health package, if you like, mm. that MSF developed in the in mm. the eighties, of course, it's evolved, and, and that's where again MSF is lucky because mm. we have a culture of challenging uh, challenging that. But so it's, it's applied differently often. But there is still, of course, uh, you fall back on the guidelines and the protocols, and often okay. void of the context yes. understanding and the yeah. adaptations that are needed um and that's what, for example in syria though, this is another element of this problem that we that we found is that because you ha- we had extremely high quality health systems that existed in syria for example in iraq and in other places when msf came into to some of these uh, some of these environments the kind of of standards that we were that we were bringing was based on war zones in resource poor mm-hmm. settings mm-hmm. so war zones where resources were limited um, and you had to make do with extremely uh, low amount of uh, yeah exactly limited uh, tools at your disposal. So often the feedback we would get from from medical practitioners in the beginning of the war days was we want to replicate the private hospital that we've been working in Mm. as a field hospital so we want everything that goes with that and MSF wasn't willing to adapt at that stage Mm. to to meet that so the provision of of certain kinds of equipment, medical Mm. equipment we Mm. We uh, saw it as unnecessary to, in a resource poor setting, okay. to provide that kind of equipment. But you had a medical community that was used to working with these, uh, <laughs> with these tools. Yeah. And then actually, the, the 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 relevance of MSF increased when the health system, the, the more the health system deteriorated, right. which makes right, sense as right, well. That right, right. that the more people were forced to to make use with very limited, uh, very limited supplies, mm-hmm. and the, the more we saw the effects of siege, the more we saw mm-hmm. the effects of of, uh, of the degradation and the destruction of the health system, the more the medical community had to evolve to, to, to address uh, to address the medical needs with very limited uh, tools at their disposal. Actually, I saw a story yesterday in Yemen that
1: uh, people are going back to herbal medicine because of a lack of medication. Mm-hmm. And they are re- 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 reinventing the herbal medicine yeah. that uh, completely disappeared. And now they are bringing it back because of a lack of medication. Yeah. Well, we've been discussing f- with
2: some some medical networks, colleagues of mine, uh, inside inside parts of Syria where they're dealing with malnutrition in mm-hmm. areas under siege. So MSF's uh, standard protocol for malnutrition is what's called Plumpy Nut. It's a therapeutic food that's been developed over years to address. But this is, these are areas under siege. Right. So <laughs> What are you going to exactly. You have to you have to support uh, you have to support um, these medical networks to find solutions that that are, mm-hmm. that are there. So it's been mm-hmm. a discussion and a process to find. Okay, what, how do we break down the components of Plumpy Nut? Mm. And how do you find that in an area under siege? Right. And put it together right. in your own uh, kitchen, basically. Um, yeah. And that process is something that's... That, uh, but I think that's interesting as well about about the nature of, of the work that's... Uh, maybe the changing, to a certain extent, nature of work is that, at least for MSF, a lot of the, the biggest projects that we had in the past were in contexts where the health system was developing, and it was extremely stunted because of a past of mm. colonialism, mm. uh, underdevelopment, so mm. DRC, mm. South Sudan. Mm. The MSF presence in those environments was in a, in a kind of medical, not, not a not a void, because of course there's existing uh, health uh, care and health provision, but it wasn't established health system. But there was a necessity for it. Exactly. Mm. So it was an emerging health system, if you like, mm. whereas in in uh, in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, well, Afghanistan to a less extent, but Syria, Iraq for sure, we see a kind of uh, the destruction of the health system. Um, the deterioration of the health yeah. system. So it's where MSF puts itself in, in those different... Uh, Interesting. Um, yeah, and
0: I think, I think people also come with different kind of expectations in these areas. I mm. mean, as as uh, Jonathan was saying, is that when you had have had like this kind of more universal health care system mm-hmm. uh, and and supposedly primary care, access to care mm-hmm. is relatively mm-hmm. uh, more or less more, more developed. And, you know, these are middle income countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, populations are health literate. Mm-hmm. Everyone understands what is a drug and what is the medicine mm-hmm. and all. And people depend actually heavily on the medical system right. over decades of state-building, nation-building, regardless of what the political regime was doing, um, uh, you have a different kind of expectations of the population in relationship to what does it mean to give them medical care and health care. So that's, I think, one important point. Secondly, I think as uh, partly because of the major, uh, there has been a kind of a big displacement of a middle class population, mm-hmm. professional, mm-hmm. Uh, very well educated, That's these okay. price, these kind of uh, populations uh, have different kind of needs. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of uh, diseases that even they suffer from are more, let's say, in tune with chronic diseases mm-hmm. like diabetes, hypertension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the physio- even the pathophysiology of this population mm-hmm. kind of problems and what they are needs and are are very different than mm-hmm. let's say a rural population in in uh, in, in in sub-saharan Africa let's mm-hmm. say where a lot of the original work had developed for the humanitarian medicine right. so 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 I think I think it's an interesting kind of moment to step back and say this is really this, this. is not. You can't really really taking these models from one place to the other, but of to, you have to to think really from the bottom up and see what are kind of the the needs. What what is the diff- This is why we're going deeper into thinking about the political, historical, mm. sociological, economic, uh, infrastructural aspects, environmental, of course, which I think is very very central to a lot of this of work. Course. Uh, to think about what exactly is, 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 defines um, medicine pra- med- medical practice within these kind of conflicts, mm-hmm. and what kind of public health needs are we talking about, what kind of futures also these populations would have in, in, in settings that are pretty much compromised, not necessarily because they never had healthcare, but actually they've had healthcare, and that had got destroyed exactly. and now there is a different kind of expectation and what do you need to survive and to live a little bit uh, healthier. I mean, it's, it's always a paradox, I find, uh, is that when, when we are constantly dealing with the notion of the refugee and the kind of trying to improve their health and all of that, because mm. that also uh, is a very problematic notion uh, when you're reducing people to this kind of victim-suffering yeah, kind of subject. Um, and I think maybe we need to begin to to also find a new language to do This is what I, I want to
1: touch on next. Uh, why we don't see humanitarian initiatives that promote the organization of refugees into productive populations, into political bodies that are able to represent their own cause, uh, have self-determination, and envision their own solutions. Why is that model is not being... Uh, applied. I think there's a,
2: there's a, uh, no, you've hit on something that's really core in terms of the problem of the humanitarian system. Mm. <laughs> so the the human the, the short answer I think to to that is that the humanitarian system doesn't have an interest in seeing refugees as productive as productive uh, productive individuals, and those that do, I would say, uh, do so from a very kind of liberal uh, state building uh, perspective, where the the refugee is kind of given this this productive status as a contributor to building a liberal democracy mm. as defined by the western donors mm. <laughs> basically mm. Mm. so I, I would say that there's actually two two elements to to what you've touched on the one is the the kind of yeah the removal of agency from refugees mm-hmm. as one in one sense so seeing uh, seeing refugees and those who receive humanitarian assistance mm-hmm. as passive recipients of aid mm-hmm and then there's a shift i think that's to, to, in many circles that's been recognized as a mm-hmm. problem but the solution that's been proposed is this kind of inf- what uh, one of the people at the conference referred to mark Duffield, as enforced self-reliance mm. so then there's this uh, this notion that okay the refugee is not does have agency so great go and uh, do your do your thing and uh, we will step Bye. further See and further exactly. okay. and we will step further and further back from providing direct assistance okay. and we'll provide empowerment which is this ridiculous concept when it's applied from, from a western NGO that's dropping into... exactly them. Exactly. So you know, <laughs> we're here to... And the worst manifestation of this is through the concept for me of resilience building. So the idea that that an NGO would come into a, uh, a community and build the resilience of people to suffering basically. Okay, um, And that's been a, a solution that's basically emerged out of this acknowledgement of the agency of refugees so I think there's a there's a challenge that we have to to grapple with on who's developing the solutions uh, to right. to the way aid is is provided mm-hmm. and at the moment the monopoly on the, the evolution of the aid system is held within a very kind of small group of NGOs that are mm. primarily linked through history mm. and through the contemporary mm. reality to Western power. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is just the the reality of what we're dealing with. The large, big NGOs that create policy when it comes to how aid is delivered are funded primarily by US and EU uh, donor states. And these states act in their own self-interest, which is normal for any state. Any state is gonna act uh, Mm -hmm. uh, for the promotion of their own own self-interest. And so we see aid becoming used um, or influenced to serve these uh, these uh, these certain agendas. So I mean, I've I've referred to to Afghanistan, but in South Sudan is, is is a place where I've I've worked and we've seen it in the most stark form. Is that the entire aid system is geared towards the state building model um, of creating the state, but the state is 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 uh, is built in the image of the donors that are funding it. <laughs> so it's not about uh local organization it's not about i mean i'm from i'm from south africa so my background is in trade union uh, discussions uh, organizing people no exactly so the the difference is completely stark i mean in 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 south africa the civil society movements that dealt with hiv for example it was patient patient groups who uh who who had hiv that were holding the government accountable Mm -hmm. holding big pharma pharmaceutical companies accountable demanding Mm -hmm. certain uh, access to treatment, uh, organizing amongst themselves, linking in with trade union movements and creating... And those were the, the, the what NGOs or others would call the beneficiaries of, of assistance. But it was very much a, a mobilized uh, response that, that came from civil society. And MSF got it right, probably by mistake. I don't say that MSF is a great uh, organization that gets it right everywhere. We got it right by connecting in with these uh, social movements. Okay and creating alliances, so okay. it was about MSF bringing a certain uh, capacity to literally provide the treatment, and civil society bringing the mobilization mm. capacity to use their access to that treatment okay. to prove that it was possible okay. to governments, to donors, to... to so to a partnership to a, that made sense. Exactly. So it wasn't this artificial partnership of capacity building or right. or empowerment or... Empowerment or it was, a, it was a, in a way, it was a, 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 an alliance of convenience. We, mm-hmm. we both, we both uh, managed, we had the same objective, and it, it made sense to, to partner together to achieve that. And I think that's where the aid system is, is falling down the, the trap in the one hand of, of yeah, seeing this as a, uh, seeing the, 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 the problem, if you like, of, of lack of agency that, that, is, that exists when the aid is just imposed. Mm-hmm i think that is recognized in the aid system but the problem the solution that's being proposed is completely disconnected mm. uh, from from finding alliances finding ways to to see where the added value is and where mm. the limitations are so it goes back to what i said earlier humanitarian organizations should not be building states i mean this is just uh, th- that's not what uh, they're not good at it <laughs> and it's uh, it's a problem yeah it should not displace so, uh, the state it should be. not replace it either exactly so there has to be i think this is a dynamic issue that needs to be because like a state and like Lebanon, easy.
1: which is dysfunctional, now is yeah. relying more and more in, to social services provided by NGOs yeah. to the Lebanese. Absolutely. And I think that even gives them more of a leeway to the, to the mafia yeah. system that controls the state for yeah. its own benefit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, Omar, I want to ask you one last question. Yes. Um, why do you think it's dangerous uh, to victimize refugees as powerless people? I,
0: I think, I mean, I second what uh, Jonathan is, 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 was saying about this, partly because it it, it uh, uh, misses the point that, you know, at, at one level, many of these... People, Of course, they are victims of the war, but they're not necessarily... That's the only thing on part of their life. They come with stories, with histories, mm-hmm. with... Uh, it's, a, it's a, Being displaced is also part of a life trajectory that mm-hmm. they have uh, probably embarked on, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to move, and the populations in this region have been on the move, mm-hmm. I guess, for a much longer time mm-hmm. than anyone could could mm-hmm. even uh, trace back. So, So I think there is a... There is a, 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 a way that we need to understand how the movements of these populations are historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just uh, they're not just 3D. Uh, uh, they probably are amplified by the by events are unfolding in the region. But we need to put uh, these. Uh, uh, people, as you said, you know, there's a productive population, uh, and that's kind of the example that I gave for uh, to show that was the Syrian the Syrian uh, labor movement at mm-hmm. least into Lebanon from mm-hmm. the nineteen nineties mm-hmm. until now, there has been almost a similar number of people that's in the nineties, and that. that and that kind of you know dropped in two thousand and five with the whole uh, uh, um, uh, kind of withdrawal so, of Syria so. out of the country. However, now we are talking about all of this as almost their refugees. Their victims. Mm. If you look in in Beirut, uh, to to the to the to the city, you look at the urban infra uh, urban space. You look at all the buildings in Beirut. Uh, who are the people who are uh, are running the everyday life la- everyday needs of of the in- local inhabitants? It's usually, a Syrian natour or a Syrian worker who's who's either building the buildings exactly. uh, working in the reconstruction sector or someone who actually every day they 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 switch the electricity from uh, you know with all the electricity cuts in the country switching from the the national electricity into the local generator bringing supplying the water back into the tanks and and these are the people who represent the infrastructure of the, uh, of the city. So mm-hmm. thinking about uh, the kind of the Syrian entity as a refugee is somewhat really misleading and probably I wouldn't say they are necessarily just depoliticized. In many ways, the refugee is the ultimate politicization. Partly is how the Lebanese government, for example, is using the presence of the refugees to to kind of channel more aid into its own kind of uh, work and all of that. So that's one element of, of, of uh, the work. It, uh, it, it, it allows more and more interventions uh, from the West into this part of the world. And I think we're going to see, but, but all of this obscures or eclipses this kind of history uh, that these people have life trajectories, mm-hmm. they've, they've, they, they work, they are, you know, a lot of the refugees, for example, pay rent even the informal tented settlements mm-hmm. in the Beqaa and the mm-hmm. north they actually contribute to the Lebanese economy by paying rents i pay some of them i mean at least up to my knowledge they pay about 100 dollars a month for a land where they're actually working on mm-hmm. and their children mm-hmm. who are below 18 mm-hmm. are working mm-hmm. on in, in the agricultural mm-hmm. sector so even the child even the vulnerable is 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 a labor as a it's laborer. part of the economy. It's it's a, it's an economy that emerges, and this is how people live their lives. This is how people kind of adapt and mm-hmm. survive because you know the humanitarian whatever the relief is is not going to be enough. And I think the in this part of the world, I think the interconnections between Lebanese and Syrians and Iraqis is something beyond the mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, idea of a foreign population coming in and, and a refugee population. We are dealing with history of interaction, mm-hmm. shared shared language, and, and, and shared uh, and kind of relations. It's
1: very nation that was created by the new country. Exactly. So I think I think
0: uh, yeah, exactly. And I think whatever this whole region, in terms of the Mediterranean, even within Europe. Even yeah. the movement into Europe, yeah. this is historically already documented. Uh, you know, people cross the Mediterranean all True. throughout history. True. So you know, this idea yeah. that yeah. this is just something new or something kind of out of the ordinary and, ex- uh, is is not necessarily right so so the k- kind of many connections i mean as much as we are having so many disconnections in this region there are so many connections mm-hmm. that w- that's what we need to be looking at and fostering and and at least trying to understand what the what kind of connections pre-exist the the kind of refugee language and the exactly. the victim language that we see here. because I and
2: mean, then part of the problem of the, of that of that uh, reliance over reliance on the refugee language is Okay, of course, we're, we're in an environment where that is, uh, creates access to certain rights. By being a refugee, you, you are protected in a way that if you were not, if you denied that status, you weren't. So, in a way, the, the, the reality of what we're dealing with is that it's in people's interests, I mean, from a legal perspective, to have access to that refugee label. Um, so, I mean, what we see today more and more is that there are, there are huge um, parts of, or a huge part of the Syrian community, for example, in Lebanon, that don't have uh, status in the country, mm-hmm. that are denied the legal documentation mm-hmm. to be able to to be here, mm-hmm. and that then is the barrier. So the, again, it's the over reliance on this uh, on this terminology, you know, this model, it's kind of a legal Refugee model to, to understand and that then yeah. blocks their access yeah. to assistance. So exactly. UNHCR or, or other organisations will provide assistance to refugees if you don't have your paper, if you're not registered mm-hmm. with UNHCR, etc. You don't you get access to assistance, assistance, and you also have your ability to move hampers. If you mm-hmm. go to a checkpoint, you're going to be identified as illegal, mm-hmm. deported. So the access again, if we talk then about uh, healthcare in this kind of uh, environment, your your ability to seek healthcare is drastically reduced yes, through, because you're uh, because you're yeah exactly your mobility is is, uh, is extremely restricted. But then the donors, yeah. exactly, we go back to this uh, dyna- dynamic, the donors that are pouring money into into Lebanon. They're not necessarily going to put pressure on the Lebanese government to allow more refugees in or to register them because the Lebanese government can turn to Europe and say, "Okay, what are you doing to uh, to allow more refugees mm-hmm. into Europe, or what are you doing to keep refugees out? Mm-hmm. We're doing the same uh, mm-hmm. the same model." So there's a there's a and that's that's where the complicity and the double standards exactly. starts yes. to then emerge from the, the macro structures yes. that exist, um, and everyone becomes complicit in the fact that that people don't have access to to the the adequate kind of services Mm -hmm. Um, And they're complicit from from fortress Europe all the way down Mm -hmm. to the Lebanese government or to the Syrian uh, government That's uh, that's putting people under siege. I mean the 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 chain of of complicit uh,
1: People who are complicit Mm -hmm. is a long one when it comes to to this as well um, This was awesome. Do you like to add anything? To this conversation it's, it's so rich. I mean, I mean, I feel I'm getting out smarter. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, I'm fine. I'm no, fine. No, this so is, uh, I think, thank you so much for thank you, Omar uh, and Jonathan. Yeah, thank, you thank you for you.
1: talking to Status. Um, and hopefully, we'll get you back on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks. thanks a lot. And this is our show for today. Stay tuned with Status. I'm your host, Muhammad Ali
3: Nayan. Goodbye. <laughs> محفور بالحيط كتفي في فيش غال محبا ما قديد من عضر الرزق والتين بالآخر صفيت مثل العصفور المرغوب بالخير محفور بالبيت مثل التمثال محفور بالحيل عكث في فش خال حمام ما تيلي ناظر الرزق أبو الكيف آخر صفيت مثل العصفور المربوط بالخيط عند الله بركه بتفتح طاقه رحمة بطلع من رحم البلد ولدت فيه واسمي صار عن طرف كل شارع رئيسي صار عندي رغبة أمشي طبيعي بطريقي صار اسمي حر محبوس عم تحزن حياتي مثل عم يلعب محبوس النرد بسبب ضغط مع وجع للأعصاب لأنه الحظ ضد مشان ما من مع أنه عندي الأسباب بس لازم هدي وضعي غير نظام أو يمكن النظام I'm so sorry, so sorry, i بيصير بالسوق <تصفيق> وضعي so sorry, I'm so sorry, i so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so I'm so sorry, I'm i صار محفور ما صفيت المربوط محفور بالبيت صفيت المربوط عم من مع القرف عم نظف خرف البلد لانه وصلنا لنقطه خرف بيقولوا عم بتطرف والنتيجه خاسره شو بعمل لما شباب البلد بقلب حاصره بحس على الشباب النظافه ده ثمني يا زلمه عم فيشنا ظهر بدون بنت خاطرك بس نسافر أتش حال من الألم اللي عم بيعاني منه خط الفاز الأول من حظ الفاشل عفواً أنا نظامي بس نظامي غير نظامي قررت تكون ناشد لأنه مثل طوال درويس عصفور في اللي من ألف عصامي وبالإذن أنا رايح سافر على بلد تاني بيقدر يحوني ويحوى أفكاري والسلام على وطن.